Amen. Well, he is worthy to be praised, isn't he? I bless the name of the Lord. I tell you, there's a lot of things that, uh, that we're lacking in our day. I, I'm, I'm way behind on being a, on being a witness. I'm way behind in my, in my prayer life. But I tell you, collectively, as I survey the church age, I believe where we're probably most behind is just worshiping him for who he is and being thankful. You know, Paul, as he got ready to, to tell his farewell speech to young Timothy, he gave a forecast for the, for the future of the closing days of the church age. And most of y'all can probably quote 2 Timothy 3. He said... This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And that word perilous means dangerous times. Can I say this morning the America that I was raised in just a few years ago is not what, she's not what she was. Uh, We're living in those perilous times. But he goes on to say that men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And he said this, he said they'll be unthankful. That's one of the indications of the last days is a crowd of people that will be unthankful. And uh, no doubt it's been mentioned this morning, the Sunday school hour, that we are living in those last days. But I don't believe that we have to necessarily adopt the characteristics of those days. And so I thank the Lord. I want to lift my hands towards heaven and bless His name for His goodness in my life. I stand in a place where a lot of my heroes have stood. I don't deserve to be here. Uh, but uh, thank God for His grace and His mercy and His long-suffering. Amen. Amen. And uh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Brother Tracy. I appreciate the good room and uh, just the, the Sunday school hour. I appreciate the songs and the, the testi- testimonies. I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be around God's people, aren't you? Amen. And I, I've never been here. I, I feel, feel at home this morning. I live in Tennessee now, but... I was raised in northeast Georgia, so we're probably kin somehow or another. We're cousins or something or another. And uh, a lot of the places, well, I try to say this everywhere I go for the first time, um, just to try to encourage you, um, it's not always being a red tie and a black suit and a white shirt. Um, I was raised in a good Christian home, a God-fearing home, but I, I got into my teenage years and I thought that I knew more than the authority that God had placed in my life. And I started running with the wrong crowd, and before I knew it, I was the wrong crowd. And uh, I uh, not not promoting sin, not glorifying the devil, uh, but they kicked me out of my high school. Had to go to the alternative school, all that mess, in and out of jail, and it just got worse and worse. And I remember one day I come home from one of those rendezvous, and my parents, um, good parents. Um, I'm sorry for y'all. I, I, my, my parents are better than y'all's. I'm sorry about that. I got good, a good mom and a daddy. Amen. But uh, I had went so far out in sin that they were changing the door locks on the house. And they said, son, if this is where you're going to live, you're going to have to just go on. Ain't nothing else we can do for you. And I remember in, uh, in May of 2010, when all my buddies that I thought that I'd take over the world with. They had turned their back on me. I was bombarded with lawyer fees and probation and just, I didn't have nowhere to turn. My grandparents, those white-haired saints of God, when everybody else had gave up on me and turned their back on me, they got a burden for their grandson and they began to pray for me. 
And I can remember oftentimes I'd come in from wild adventures out into the world and they had came by and they had left some preaching tapes on the coffee table and that stuff spooked me, man. I didn't want to go very near it, but I'd walk by and just glance at it. And some of those preaching CDs that have pictures of the message that the man of God was preaching on. And my granddaddy began to witness to me. And he'd, he's not a preacher, but he had preached to me. And the Holy Ghost used him and my grandma to get me under conviction. And one night in May of 2010, they crammed me in the back seat of one of their old grandparents' cars. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They smell a certain way. They look a certain way. They drive a certain way. They stuffed me in the back seat of that thing. They cranked the primitive quartet up just as loud as they could get them. And they drove me down to Isla, Georgia, to a little old country church on the side of the road. And, man, I'm telling you, I got out of that car that night, and I was under so much conviction, I was struggling to breathe. And my grandpa, he knew what he was doing. He took me in the back of the church house where all the deacons were praying for God to move that night. And... I wanted so bad to raise my hand and say, y'all don't need to pray for any sinners to get saved. I'm here. I need to be saved. But I, I couldn't breathe. I barely could move. And somehow or another, I got out of that prayer room, got back out in the sanctuary, and they preached, they sang, and they gave an invitation that night. And I stepped out and made my way down to an altar of repentance. And that's been 13 years ago. I don't know nothing about a 12-step program. I've never been in an AA meeting. I never had to go to a dry-out clinic. I got saved by the grace of God. Amen. And so you may be in here today, maybe a grandmother, a granddad. You raised your children better than the way they're living right now. Maybe you've got some children that have went another direction. Can I say that God sent me about four hours south to tell you that there's still power in prayer. You're looking at about 270 pounds of growing evidence that God can change a man's life. And so don't you quit praying for whatever it is you're praying for. No doubt there's financial needs. I'm burdened down with all that this morning. But I'm, I'm telling you today that God knows exactly what's going on and he, uh, he, he can help you along the way. So you just be faithful to Him and He'll be faithful to you. Amen. Well, I want to deal with a subject this morning that um, has been forgotten about, I believe, in most churches, and it's definitely not, not dealt with anymore, but uh, I want to remind us of some truth this morning, according to the Word of God, amen? So if you've got your Bible, flip over there to the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, and we'll read just a, a few verses, and again, it is my honor to be here. I appreciate the invitation, and uh, appreciate my pastor, Brother Tony, allowing us to step away just for a little while today. And uh, you pray for us. We've got to travel home tonight and, and be back in his place as he goes to preach in, in another state. And um, we've uh, recently jumped off a sidewalk at the church trying to outrun the rain with a leaf blower and uh, kind of bummed our knee up. I'm off crutches now. Uh, I, I wasn't, I, I, for whatever crazy reason, I didn't put my brace on this morning. So if I fall down, pass out, or black out, Brother Tracy will just come finish this thing. Hey, man, if you see me hobbling around... Amen, that's, that's what it is. Y'all pray for us this morning. Amen. Here we go. Let's pick up reading in verse number 19. Very, very familiar uh, verses of Scripture, but uh, let, let's uh, see if the Lord will maybe try to help us this morning. The Bible said there in verse number 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, 
and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, did y'all hear that? And in hell, the Bible said, In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and y'all have heard your preacher probably allude to this, but he didn't want a bottle of Dasani water. He didn't want a cup of water. The Bible said all he wanted was somebody to stick his finger in some water and let that drop of water cool his tongue. Isn't that something? It's definitely July here in the south in Georgia and in Tennessee, man. I'm telling you, it's, it's muggy and hot out there. And uh, oftentimes this time of year, my wife, she gets tired of hearing me say this, but I'll come in from work and I mean just salt stains on my clothes, just cramping up from the heat. And I'll go straight to the refrigerator and I'll grab a bottle of water and I'll just begin to thank God for water. But do you understand this morning, there's this rich man today. This has been pinned for a couple thousand years. I don't know how long he's been there, but he's in hell this morning wanting somebody just to cool the tip of his tongue. Verse 25, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went from them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I'm burdened as I survey my Christian life at the absence of a, of a, of a burden, really, and... In, in, the reality of this place that I just read about. I can remember 13 years ago after I got saved, I got real interested in what's next, what's awaiting uh, after this walk of life. And uh, there's, there's been a few services that I can remember where a man of God would get up and he would go to Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 and he would preach about that celestial city that's awaiting the child of God. Aren't you thankful for heaven? Amen. If you're in here today, thank God this is not the end of the way. Can you imagine, man, as uh, we're able to see the beautiful sunrises and the beautiful sunsets here in the south? You can travel from the Atlantic to the Gulf to the Pacific Ocean. I've been able to travel halfway around the world preaching the Word of God, and I've been able to see some majestic sights this side of eternity can I remind you this morning that all the beautiful creation that God has blessed us with has all been touched by sin. But man, what's it going to be on one of this glorious daybreaks when we leave this walk of life 
and step into a land that's never been marred by sin. Hallelujah to God for a place that awaits the child of God called heaven. And I can recollect in days gone by where men of God used to stand and preach about that place. But I got also interested in what's awaiting the person that, had, that rejects the message of the gospel according to the word of God. There's, thank God there's a place called heaven, but there's also another side to the coin. There's a terrible place called hell. And I began, to, I began to read and try to find as much out as I could about this place. I remember finding a book. Some of y'all may have seen the book, 23 Minutes in Hell. And I would read behind all these men uh, on those religious television channels. Man, they say that they had an outer body experience and they went to this place called hell. But I tell you today, when it boils down to it, I'm not interested in what those crazy fanatics have put together in a book. I'm interested this morning in what the Bible says about hell. And so I want to, maybe by the grace of God, try to preach for just a few minutes on a biblical place called hell. Hell. A biblical hell. A few things by way of introduction. I want you to notice the context of these verses. If you're interested in following along, flip back one page and notice Luke chapter number 15, verses number 1 and verses number 1, 2, and 3. The Bible said, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Notice this. He clarifies what he's fixing to do, and he spake this parable unto them. And so anytime throughout the gospel books, our Lord, when he got ready to use a parable, an example, or an illustration, he made it very clear that that's what he was fixing to do. But here in Luke chapter number 16, he is not using a parable. He's not using an example. He's not painting an illustration. It is a, 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 a historical event. It is a, a truth. It is a fact. So we see the, the context of our verses that we read this morning. It is not a parable. It is a real account of two men. One died and went into Abraham's bosom. And the other one died and went to hell. Not only do we see the context, but I want you to notice also the crowd that our Lord is preaching to. Notice with me in chapter number 16, verse number 1, the Bible said, And he said unto his disciples, you see that? He's talking eyeball to eyeball with his disciples. These men in previous pages left everything that they had ever known to follow the Lord our Savior through his earthly ministry. So we see not only the context of these verses, but we see the crowd that our Lord is preaching this message to. He looks eyeball to eyeball to his disciples and begins to tell them about hell. Not only is he preaching to his disciples, but notice down in verse number 14. The Bible said, And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. And the Bible said in verse 15, And he said unto them. So not only is he talking eyeball to eyeball to his disciples, but he's also talking directly to the Pharisees. We conclude in those two realities that our Lord is talking directly to a group 
a very religious people when he deals with the topic or the subject of hell. We see the context, we see the crowd, but the conclusion of it all is this. At the end of life, there's two places. Here in these early writings of, of, of uh, our, our Lord and in all of the gospel books, it was Abraham's bosom, but now after Calvary, we, we call it heaven. And so we see that there is a place called heaven, but the conclusion is there's also a place called hell. You go one of two places when you die. Hebrews 9.27, he said, uh, he said, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. The, the, the penman in Proverbs uh, chapter number 27, verse 1, he said, Boast not thyself on tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James proposes the question. He said, What is your life? But then he answers it. He said, it is a vapor, it appeareth for a short time, a little time, and then it vanisheth away. And so we're not going to be here forever. If time goes on and the Lord doesn't come for the church in our, in our lifetime, we are going to die. There's a place called heaven, there's a place called hell. Let's see what the Bible tells us about a biblical hell this morning again just maybe try to remind you of this truth of this reality the first thing can I say that the Bible gives us an explanation of this terrible place called hell you ever just kind of sit around and ponder about about hell what's it like I mean what 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 in the world hell you ever, you ever wonder about that, maybe driving up and down the roads if we take enough time to cut our cell phones off and just meditate upon the things of God? You ever, you ever wonder about hell? Can I say this morning, we, we don't have to leave here wondering what hell's all about. The Bible gives us an explanation about hell. Can I say the first explanation about hell is its creation. What about the creation of hell? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 25, verse number 1, the Lord says this, Then shall he say also unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, here it is, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, this morning, according to the, to the writing, to the preaching, to the ministry of our Lord and Savior, hell was never created for you and I. It was created for those fallen angels. Whenever all that occurred, hell in its origin was created for them. Now can you imagine today dying and going and spending eternity in a place that was not created for you? Can I say if you've stepped in here today and you've never been saved by the good grace of God, that's exactly what is awaiting you. There is absolutely, in the Word of God, never found anything such as purgatory, a timeout, an in-between, a, a lingo. Friend, listen to me. It is heaven uh, or it is hell, uh, and it was never created for you and I. It was created for the devil and his angels. So we see the creation of hell is explained. But we also find in the Word of God the duration of hell. Again, in Matthew chapter number 25, 
He tells that crowd at the judgment, he said, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. Hell is eternal. If you die and go to hell, the people that are dying and going to hell, listen to me, it is eternal. It's eternal. It's forever and ever. And while the ages roll, it is forever. I can remember when I lived like Waylon Jennings trying to, listen, paint some country music lifestyle uh, like an outlaw, like a renegade. Uh, listen, I'd wake up on, on some mornings finding myself uh, in a mess. I mean, I've had counties uh, looking for me, law enforcement chasing me, uh, and I could make one phone call uh, uh, to a lawyer in Cornelia, Georgia, and I could get myself out of a lot of things uh, that I got myself into but I'm telling you to, today, friend of mine, uh, listen, there's one place you'll never be able to get yourself out of. Uh, if you die and go to a devil's hell, uh, it is forever. Uh, it's eternal damnation. Uh, it's everlasting fire. Uh, the duration of hell uh, is forever. Outside of the white throne judgment, when death and hell's pulled out, uh, and they stand before a holy God uh, and give an account for their works here in this walk of life. Uh, after the white throne judgment, friend, they'll be cast uh, into the lake of fire. Uh, hell is forever. It's forever. It's forever. We see the creation. We see the duration. What about the location? Where is hell? Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 14, hell from beneath is moved for thee. Again in chapter 14, yet those that shall be brought down to hell. And then in Ephesians chapter number 4, New Testament, Paul tells us uh, that hell is in the lower parts of the earth. So we see the location of hell according to the Word of God right now is below our feet. I've been able to travel to the Philippines on mission trips and preach over there in those, in, those, uh, in those coastal regions. And as we fly into Manila, if it's daytime, you can, look across the, you can look across the landscape and you can see those volcano mountains uh, scattered across the horizon. Many of us probably have watched on television, uh, I think about in the 80s when Mount St. Helens erupted. I, I don't have no Bible verse for this, but I often wonder, as those volcanoes erupt and spew that ash, uh, into the first and second heaven. I wonder, could it be that that is hell uh, enlarging herself? You see, hell's beneath our feet today, according to the Word of God. I'm talking about a biblical explanation for this awful place called hell. We're not interested today in what society says about it. They don't believe in a place called hell. They're trying to take it out of our churches. They're trying to take it out of our songs. They're trying to re-erase it out of the Word of God. But I'm telling you, it does not matter what some liberal theologian has, an, uh, has a mindset about this place. Uh, it boils down today that the Word of God uh, gives an explanation because uh, there is a literal burning hell today. The creation, the duration, the verification, the location, but what about the verification? Can I say today that the word hell is found 54 times in your King James Bible? 54 times. From Genesis 
to Revelation. 54 times. Can I say today the verification of this place called hell? Moses had something to say about hell. The meekest man that's ever walked the face of the earth outside of Christ had something to say about hell. Not only Moses, but David had a lot of preaching to say about hell. Job and Solomon, they had things to say about hell. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and a man by the name of Amos would stand and prophesy and preach to their generation about a terrible place called hell. Jonah, Habakkuk, those men in the Old Testament all had a message from God Almighty about a place called hell. I say, God, raise up a a man or two in our day that'll still stand and have a message from God about a place called hell. Listen to me today, child of God. Hell's still a real place. I read some time ago that every day around the globe there's 150,000 people a day that die and go into eternity. And all these men, these, these men that verified this place called hell, they had something to say about it. When you flip into the New Testament, we know a group of men, some of us call them the sons of thunder. Some of us call them, call them Peter, James, and John. We're familiar with those men and their ministries and their writings. And we know that in Matthew chapter number 17, they were chosen above all those other disciples to take a glorious journey up the Mount of Transfiguration. And while they were there, they were able to see the veil of the glory of God pulled back. And they got to look into the millennial reign at the glory and the splendor of our Savior. But I'm telling you, as they made their way back down that mountain, they didn't have a lot to say about that, though they did refer to that. But I'm telling you, with those men in the Old Testament, Peter, James, and John, they also verified this terrible place called hell. But as we look at all the men in the Old Testament and all the men in the New Testament that stood and preached about hell, you know what verifies it most to me? Is that Christ, our Lord and Savior, the darling Lamb of God, In our text this morning, red letter, friend, Jesus himself had something to say about hell. A biblical explanation for hell. Can I say not only a biblical explanation, but can I say there's some biblical expectations in hell. What, What can a person expect when they die and go to hell? What, what, what can you expect? Well, can I say in other accounts found in the Word of God, and I'll not flip there this morning for sake of time, but in other accounts in the Word of God, you'll find that it's a place of gnashing of teeth, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's also a place, according to Revelation, where there is no rest. You ever been so tired and weary and downtrodden that, man, it's just like a, a struggle just to get up out of your recliner and make it down the hallway to the bedroom? I mean, just listen, we're living in a day where, man, a lot of God's people are just weary and, 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 and tired. I mean, but listen to me. If we're all honest, we'd have to agree that somewhere down the way we can find a little rest. But the person that dies and goes to hell, according to the Word of God, 
There'll never be no rest found. It's a bottomless pit. It's a place of outer darkness. It's a place of separation. But here in our text, notice with me in verse number 22, I'm talking about what to expect in hell according to the Word of God. Verse number 22, the Bible said, It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Notice this. And the rich man also died and was buried. When Lazarus died, he had a, he had a welcoming committee to come and escort him into Abraham's bosom. You know, today we, we live in an hour where, you know, the doctors and all this medication, we've got our loved ones so doped up that when they leave out of here, they, they don't have much to say. They're so out of their mind. They, they don't have a clear thought process. But there was a time when our family and forefathers, they would lay on their dying bed and they would report back to their family what they were hearing and what they were seeing. Amen. Amen. Here in our text, we see that the rich man, when he died, he just fell off into hell. I, uh, I remember when I was lost, I was, I was working for my dad's construction company, and he, uh, he, he built a lake house for a family there in my hometown, a very up-to-do, well-off, prominent family in my, in my hometown. And as my dad was building this house for this family, he got real close to him. My dad's not a, not a preacher, not a deacon. I mean, he's a God-fearing man, but he, he's not a God-called man. But anyhow, when, when the old man of that family got ready to leave out of here, one of the daughters called my dad and said, uh, Mr. McKay, uh, we, we'd like, the family would like for you to come down we, and, and, and be with us during this time. Uh, Daddy's getting ready to leave out of here. And, my dad said he could sense some, 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 some uh, animosity and some trouble in that lady's invitation for my dad to come down and be with the family. And dad said that when he pulled up on the property of that house, he said he noticed a lot of the family members out in the front yard. He said that they, he could sense that they were distraught, they were upset. A lot of them were, that were not right with God. Y'all know how it is. They were out trying to hide from the grandparents. They were smoking cigarettes and just trying to calm their nerves. And my dad said that he got out of the truck, he walked through the carport, stepped up into the house, and the daughter that had called him had began to welcome him back to the, to the family room in the back of the house. Now, may I say this man that's dying, this family... They had all the money that a man or a woman could ever want. They had a business that had been paid for for, for decades. I mean, listen, they had everything that this world could offer. I'm not certain about this. I'm not certain about this. But somebody told me that that old man was a deacon of the First Baptist Church there in my hometown. He was involved in the Masonic Lodge. He was a Shriner. Listen, he was on the city council. He was involved in all the good stuff and all the what all that up-to-do stuff in town. He was involved in every bit of it. But my dad called me and he said, Son, he said, uh, I got to tell you something. He said, When I walked down that hallway and started into that family room, he said, I began to hear the cries of an aged man that I've never heard before in all the days of my life. And my dad said that when he walked through the case opening of that family room and he looked in there, he said there was a prominent businessman that had a bank account just running over. 
He had all the clout of this day's society. He had all the rings and all the, all the ability to get in any committee or do whatever he needed to do in the, local, in the local city. Listen, he had all the access that a man could ever want. But Daddy said when he walked into that family room, he looked in the floor and there was a man, and I'm not trying to be crude or off color, but Daddy said he had ripped every stitch of clothing he had uh, off of his body. He was curled up in a fetal position screaming, Somebody help me! Somebody help me! They're coming to get me! Get them away! Get them away! Somebody, somebody help me! Listen, friend, I don't know about all of that, uh, but I'm telling you according to the Word of God uh, that hell uh, and all of its blackness uh, and all of its demons uh, is a real, uh, it's a real, uh, it's a real place today. You'll have a terrible death. Biblical expectations, there's torments. Verse number 20, verse number 23, the Bible said, and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. Verse 24, torments. Verse 25, uh, tormented. Uh, verse number 28, there's torment in uh, hell. I know there's probably a lot of definitions to that word, uh, but old Webster, he defines it as this. It's extreme uh, pain to the utmost degree of misery. Can you imagine dying and going to a place uh, that's full of extreme pain and misery to the utmost degree? That's what a person can expect if they die and go to hell. It's a, it's a terrible death. There's torments. There's crying. Verse number 24, there's absolutely no mercy. The Bible said, and he cried, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. There's no mercy to be found in hell. That's what a person can expect when they die and go to hell. You know what mercy is, don't you? That's God withholding from us what we deserve. But see, a person that rejects the message of the gospel... The only way to heaven is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The person that rejects that message, the invitation uh, of the wooing of the Spirit of God, the one uh, that rejects that message, uh, friend, you will experience no mercy forever and ever in hell. I believe this according to the Word of God that every person that dies and goes to hell, you will suffer for eternity what our Savior suffered on the cross. That's a whole message in itself, but you meditate upon that one. There's thirst. Verse 24, verse 24 again, there's flames. I can remember as a boy, I was raised outside, amen. I thank God for hunting and fishing, amen, all that fast motorcycles, 1970s, Chevelle, super sports, and everything that goes along with it, amen. Thanksgiving week, man, I got to lay out of school. We'd go backpacking up in the Blue Ridge Mountains chasing those deer around, amen. I was raised in a tent around a campfire. And there's been some times in my boyhood, in my childhood, it'd be so cold, we'd wake up in the mornings, you didn't want to go deer hunting. You wanted to start a fire and get up in that thing, amen. I can, I, I can remember, man, being so cold, get those campfires going and get up there next to them, man, that thing gets to popping and cracking. And before you know it, man, you've been so close to that thing that you'd step away maybe to get something to eat, something to drink, and it had blistered your face. 
Sun comes up and you look at one another and your face is just cherry red from the heat off of that fire. Can you imagine spending eternity in a place? The Bible tells it is a lake of fire. Here's probably one of the greatest torments in hell. Notice with me in verse number 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. There's memory in hell. You'll, you'll remember some things in hell. I believe for the sinner that, got, that dies and goes to hell, they'll remember every opportunity that they had to trust Christ as their Savior. You think about it, the ones that have rejected that message, they'll be able to recollect being raised in a good Bible-believing, amen, a Bible-believing church as a young child, maybe on a cold winter morning, man, when nobody came to the house of God, a Sunday school teacher in a, in a back room somewhere probably thought, I'm not doing a lick of good. But little did they know the Holy Ghost was going to use them that morning to deliver a clear presentation of the gospel to a young child. And as that young child sat there uh, with the wooing of the Spirit of God saying, come to me today, that young child said, no, I'll do it later. I'll do it next week. Uh, and before they knew it, they were a teenager, maybe at the power of two youth camp, uh, maybe at some riverbank somewhere uh, under the preaching of a man of God uh, and the Holy Ghost began to draw them again uh, and say, come unto me, uh, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Uh, but that teenager rejected the message. You die and go to hell, you'll have your memory. You'll be able to remember all those opportunities when God sent you a message uh, to come to Him. I believe you'll remember every gospel song that you heard saying, uh, listen, amazing grace, uh, how sweet the sound uh, that saved a wretch like me. Uh, hallelujah to God uh, for the message of the gospel. The ones that die and go to hell, uh, you'll remember every opportunity you had. You'll remember every time when you came in and the man of God would not shut up. He just kept preaching and kept preaching and kept preaching that you need, you need to get saved. And then finally you think, praise God, he's going to sit down. And then he gives an invitation for 45 minutes, 50 minutes. The Holy Ghost is telling you to come, but you rejected it. You'll remember every one of those services. Verse number 26, I'll not read it for sake of time. Biblical expectations, there's absolutely no way out. You ain't getting out. Man, we can call and cancel doctor's appointments. I've done, as, as messed up as I am, I've done called and canceled an orthopedic surgeon. Hey, man. I mean, we can get out of everything. But the person that dies and goes to hell, you can expect not to get out of that place. We see a biblical explanation. We see biblical expectations. Can I say this in passing and I'm almost finished? There ought to be a biblical effect because of this place called hell. What are you talking about, Brother Andrew? Notice with me in verse number 27. Notice what this rich man says. He said, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, talking about Lazarus. This rich man that's died and went to hell, he's wanting Abraham, he's wanting the Lord to 
raise up Lazarus and send him back down to his daddy's house. Notice verse 28, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them. He's wanting Lazarus to be resurrected from the dead and go back down there and preach to his family. Why? Lest they also come into this place of torment. This rich man that died and went to hell wants somebody to resurrect Lazarus and send him down there to tell his family about hell. Can I say the biblical effect of this reality to the child of God? It ought to give us a burden. It ought to give us a burden. And that's, listen, I'm bothered that we're not bothered. I'm bothered that I meet people in a McDonald's window that I don't say anything to them about hell. We don't have to preach and foam at the mouth. We just got to simply tell them that Jesus is the only way. We're, we're living in such an hour, such a selfish hour that's promoted by all of these phones and all of this ungodly social media. Listen, we are so selfish. It's about me, myself, and I. But I'm telling you a biblical effect of hell is it ought to give us a burden. We've got friends and immediate family members that are dying and going to hell. And we've adopted the mentality of that message, that ungodly message. Oh, you're not supposed to judge. Well, the Bible tells me that a righteous man judgeth all things. And by their fruits you shall know them. You can evaluate a man or a woman's life and see how they're living and if it does not line up with New Testament conversion, salvation, then something's wrong. We ought to have a burden. Daddy, Papa, we, we need you to stand up. Uh, listen on Labor Day and say, before we start to grill, uh, I've got to tell my family about hell. Uh, we need some daddies. Uh, we need some Papas uh, that'll get a burden uh, for hell. Amen. Well, I can see I need to move along right there. A biblical hell. Can I say right here and I'm done? There's a biblical escape. Amen. Aren't you thankful that the message does not stop with the expectations of hell? There is a biblical escape. Amen. Can I remind you of this? You're going to have to acknowledge, acknowledge some things. Notice with me. If you study out these verses chronologically, I mean verse by verse, you'd have to agree that Lazarus dies first. The Bible says that Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Now, I don't know how long the, the, the period of time frame is right here, but according to the Word of God, again, chronologically, Lazarus dies first and then the rich man. Could it be that God was extending just a little more grace, a little bit more mercy? He was being just a little bit more long-suffering in this man's life? Maybe to give him another opportunity to believe the message of that day, that Christ was the Messiah? That's something to consider. But you've also got to acknowledge that his day of long-suffering, his day of grace, his day of mercy came to an end. Sunday morning crowd, the conclusion of VBS, I'm very much aware of where I stand this morning, but could there be somebody in here today 
Maybe your day of grace, your day of long-suffering, your day of God's mercy in your life is coming to an end. You've got to acknowledge that. I'm so, Brother, Brother, Brother Puckett, I'm so hesitant about even, even taking the, the skimming the top of my testimony, especially around young people, because I'm afraid that if they were to hear all the things that I was a part of, they think, well... Man, old Brother Andrew, he got to go out and live like all that mess in the world, and there he is back serving God today. But yeah, what you don't understand is if I did not have to be at my home church tonight, I could cram you in that Dodge pickup truck, and I could take you just about 20 minutes north of Gainesville, Georgia, and I could take you from one cemetery to the next of people not that I read about or not that I heard about, but people I used to run with your age. They're in eternity today. And I'm not talking about they died as a, with, a, with a cancer. I'm not talking about they died, you know, with, 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 a, you know, with some type of sickness in their bones. They died with needles in their arms and blood in their, and drugs in their veins. They died in a drunken stupor. You see, the day of grace, the day of long-suffering, the day of mercy runs out for every age group. I've not got all this figured out, but we've got an eight-year-old little boy in our church right now. Y'all pray for him. His name's Joshua Bryant, eight years old. He was the king of our junior camp back in June. Precious little old boy. I'm telling you, precious. He's at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital this morning in the cancer section with stage four bone cancer. Two weeks ago, he was running around like Dennis the Menace, but today he's on the brink of eternity. You see, you're not promised tomorrow. You're going to have to acknowledge that. Secondly, can I say you're going to have to abandon something? And I believe this is one of the most, the greatest, one of the greatest problems in our day. Notice right here in verse 24 again. The Bible said, and he cried and he said, Father Abraham. This is the rich man crying out, Father Abraham. When this man, and I, I'm not going to get into some type of theological discussion right here but when this man cried out father abraham what he was identifying what he was revealing was that he was a jew he was a covenant jew meaning that he was raised cloaked from head to toe in religion he knew everything about that old economy of the law but where did it get him? It got him in the pits of hell. Can I say, you're going to have to acknowledge that time's running out, but you're going to have to abandon religion. Now, there is good religion, but that comes after your conversion. That, that comes after salvation. Amen. Religion will not get you to heaven. Amen. Toting the King James Bible is not going to do it. The baptistry will not do it. You, you, you can give all the money in your bank account and that, that offering plate when it comes by. Amen. And I know Calvary Baptist Church could use the money, but that's not going to get you to heaven. Right. You join in the church. I hear people say all the time, man, my life got straightened out when I joined the church. Well, thank God you ought to join the church, but that's after you're saved. Amen. You see, in 1985, I was born the first time to my mother in Gainesville, Georgia. Nine pounds and nine ounces. And that was a birth that they've been telling me about for 30-something years. 
They've been telling me about how it was driving down there and all the doctors and how it all came about. And Mama will tell me how she just, her heart melted when she first saw me and I came out in those big brown eyes and I was crying and looking around. They, they've been telling me about all that. That was my first birth. But John chapter 3, the Lord's looking at another religious man and he said, Marvel not that I say unto thee that you must be born again. You've got to have a second birth, not joining the church, not teaching a Sunday school class, not getting in a baptistry, not being kin to somebody who's a deacon at the church. Amen. You've got to be born again. In May of 2010, I experienced the second birth. <laughs> Hallelujah to God. I've had one birth I don't remember, but I had another one I'll never forget. I had one birth everybody's been telling me all about it. But on that second birth, I've been telling everybody else about that second birth. Amen to God. you you got to abandon religion. Hallelujah. I wonder today if you've got a place in your life that you could go to that you know that God's convicted you uh, and in His invitation you moved and came to Him uh, in the free pardon of sin. Amen. you got to act upon the Word of God. Notice verse 29. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them... Hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, what's he saying? They've got to act upon the word of God. He said, If your brothers will not hear Moses and the prophets, that's the law and the prophets, Old Testament. If they do not heed the message of the word of God, they're coming to see you. What I'm tr simply trying to say is the only escape from hell is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day, ascended, He's seated on the right hand of God the Father to ever make intercession for you and I. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. That's the biblical escape. Now, I'm not necessarily preaching to sinners this morning. I'm preaching to the church because I'm burdened that we're not burdened about this place called hell. But there may be somebody in here today you've slipped in and you're not saved. Can I say you're among friends today? The Lord wants to save you. He wants to change your life. And so I encourage you today when the preacher comes to give an invitation, you do business with God. Can I say it like this? It just boils down to this. You can go to heaven or you can go to hell, but you can't stay here. Child of God, I, I challenge you today to get a burden for sinners and your family and your friends and your co-workers. Sinner friend, can I say, as the Sunday school teacher alluded to several times, time's running out. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. If he's doing business with you today, I challenge you to do business with him. Let's stand our feet this morning. A biblical hell. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, you'd take this thought today. I pray, God, you'd burden the hearts of the church. I pray you'd challenge us, Lord, to be more vocal about the message of the gospel. Help us to invite folks to come to the house of God to hear preach and help us to witness. I pray for the one in here who may be lost. I pray, God, you deal with them and draw them. In Jesus' name, amen.